Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me now to the book of Psalms. We're going to pause from our series in the Gospel of John. And today being Father's Day, we're going to look at the first eight verses of Psalm 78. Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. While you're turning there, there was a man by the name of David Blankenhorn who wrote a book a number of years back called Fatherless America. And in this book, he made the following statement. The United States is becoming an increasingly fatherless society. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with his father. Today, an American child can reasonably expect not to. Obviously, that is a disturbing statement, and yet it is very true. According to the latest data, there are more than 16 million children growing up in the United States right now without the presence of a father in their lives, and we are seeing the results. Whether it's depression or suicide or juvenile delinquency or poverty, all of these are immensely higher in fatherless homes. And let me just say on a personal level, for five years, I grew up alone with my grandmother. And I can personally tell you how great a difference it is when the father is absent. And this is why I am so grateful for Psalm 68.5, which says that God is a father to the fatherless. Aren't you glad to know that? That when the earthly father is absent, even then God is present. And even then God can work in that situation and God can redeem that situation. And yet the role of the father in a society is absolutely irreplaceable. God designed the home, and He did so in such a way that fathers and mothers would each have their impact on the child. There is a reason why the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. There is this assumption in that commandment that father and mother will be present and that both of their roles are vitally important. Now, as Christians, our goal is not just to raise children who are well-adjusted in society. Our goal is to raise children who love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, who will serve Him for all of their days so that they will be blessed and so that the gospel will go forth. We see this in our text this morning. Psalm 78 is one of the longest psalms in the book of Psalms. It was written by a man named Asaph, who was a great musician under the kings David and Solomon. And this psalm is a summary of Israel's history from the time of the Exodus to the time of King Solomon. So you're talking about roughly a 500 year uh, period of history, and we're only going to look at the first eight verses this morning, but in these opening verses, the psalmist begins by talking about the importance of parents, and particularly fathers, of teaching this history and all of its lessons 
to their children so that they can benefit from it. Since today is Father's Day, we're going to especially apply what we read in these verses to you dads. Now, you don't have to be a father in order to learn from this or to benefit from this, but fathers, I just want to share with you this morning three positive ways, three things that you can do to have a real lasting gospel impact on the lives of your children and their children and their children for generations to come. And first of all, we do this when we give them what I call collective wisdom. We give them not just wisdom, but collective wisdom. Well, what is that? Look at verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Now, Asaph calls their attention, and he promises to reveal to them dark sayings of old. Well, what does he mean by that? He's talking about these great and important lessons from Israel's past and that they were in danger of forgetting them. Now, if you read on through this chapter, which I would encourage you to do later if you haven't, you read on in Psalm 78, most of this chapter has to do with, guess what, Israel's failures and the consequences they suffered as a result. And one of the lessons that we must teach our children is that choices come with consequences. I would argue that we are seeing a generation after generation being raised who do not believe that actions have consequences. And as fathers, part of our job is to teach children that you can uh, choose certain things, but you cannot choose what the consequences of those actions will be. Look at verse 8. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, here's what the psalmist is saying in all of this. Part of parenting means that we take the collective wisdom from all of those uh, lessons from generations past, and we are to pass it down. The lessons that were learned by the mistakes of one generation do not have to be repeated in the next generation. There is this collective wisdom. It's not just the wisdom of one person learned over a lifetime. It is the wisdom that is accumulated by generations of people, which has been now handed down to us in this book. You know, life is short. Even if you live 80 or 90 years, life goes by quickly, and even the wisest person will only be able to accumulate so much wisdom in one lifetime. Let me illustrate it this way. It's mango season here in South Florida. No matter how good you are at picking mangoes, there is a limited number of mangoes that you will be able to pick in just one day's time. Likewise, some people 
are wiser than others. Some people accumulate more wisdom than others. But no matter how long you live and no matter how much wisdom you accumulate in this life, there is a limited amount of wisdom that one person will be able to obtain before the sunset of life takes place. Now imagine if you could take all of the wisdom that you could accumulate in one lifetime and put it all together in one story, in one book. Wouldn't that be great? Let's take it a step further. What if you could take not only all of the wisdom that you could accumulate in one lifetime, but what if you could take all of the wisdom of an entire generation of people that they would obtain in their lifetimes? What if you could take an entire generation's worth of wisdom and put all of that into one story and put it all, all of that into one book? Boy, that would be even better, wouldn't it? Okay, now let's take that a step further. What if you could take all of the wisdom, not just of one generation that that generation accumulated, but what if you could take all of the wisdom of many generations and not just any generations, but what if these generations are the people of God and how they interacted with God over the years. What if you could take all of that wisdom and put it into one story and put it into one book? Because that is exactly what God has given to us in this book. This book that many of you hold in your hands, this inspired, inerrant word of God, it gives to us not just wisdom, but the collective wisdom of the ages as God tells us how he has interacted with humanity and with his people in particular. This book is full of so many stories, of so many people, and the mistakes that they made. And by the way, one of the reasons why I love the Bible and believe it is the Word of God is because the Bible is so honest about its heroes. It tells us about their successes and it tells us about their failures. It tells us about their strengths, but it also tells us about their weaknesses. Find some other ancient holy book that does that. But in the Bible, yes, we are told the story of Cain so that we would learn the high price of an untamed temper. And we learn the story of people like Achan so that we can learn the high price of secret sin. And we learn the stories of David and Bathsheba so that we can learn the high price of sexual immorality. Life is filled with so many landmines and everything we need to avoid them is right here in this book. And notice again what it says in verse 3. We can know these things because our fathers told us. Fathers, God has given to you the awesome privilege and responsibility of teaching these lessons to your children and passing it down to that next generation and not just teaching them wisdom but passing down to them the collective wisdom that God has given to us in this book. Thus, we make an impact when we give them collective wisdom. 
Now, something else that we give them to have an impact on their lives, we give them intentional training. Intentional training. Look at verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. I want you to notice the wording here in verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. It says their children because it not only includes our children, but the children that they will have as well. And he's referring to the wisdom and the lessons in God's Word. We will not hide it from them. Asaph is saying, if you fail to teach this story, and if you fail to teach these truths, if you fail to pass on this wisdom to your children, you are not just neglecting to teach them. Asaph says in verse 4, no, you are hiding it from them. Do you see the difference? Do you understand the difference? The difference is culpability. If I merely forget to do something, that is passive. If I fail to do something that I really should do, there's a level of cultability, but that is still passive. If, on the other hand, I intentionally keep from someone something that they desperately need to know, now I am guilty indeed. This is a very strong statement. Asaph says, if you do not teach these things to your children, you are hiding these things from them. Many years ago, there was uh, a famous actor named Edward G. Robinson and uh, played in a lot of movies, a lot of gangster movies, I believe a lot of black and white movies, if you know who he is. Congratulations, you just dated yourself. But uh, in his real life, Edward G. Robinson had one son whose name was Manny. He was so devoted to his career and, and being in that next movie, getting that next act, winning that next award, that years later, when his son Manny had grown, Mr. Robinson looked back on his life. He looked back on the time that he lost and the things that he did not do. And when he wrote his autobiography, this is what he said. He said, quote, I turned to bribing my son. I gave him a shiny bicycle when he was too young to ride it. I gave him a set of gloves and helmets and bats when what he really wanted was for me to play baseball with him. And then he closed by saying, I gave him everything but myself. This is the story of so many parents, and it's the story of so many fathers. And this can so easily happen to us if we're not careful. Fathers, we must be intentional. Because if we fail to take the initiative, if we fail to train them, the Bible says, yes, that actually is intentional as well. Now, Asaph is actually going to tell us how we can do this in the next verse. Look at verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should, notice this, 
make them known to their children. Now, a couple of key words here, a couple of things that Asaph said that fathers are to make known to their children. The first key word being the word testimony, the story, in other words, of God's activity, the story of God's faithfulness. Fathers are to teach this testimony to their children, but then there's also the word law, God's law, what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. Asaph said that fathers are to make known these things to their children. We make known the testimony of God and the law of God. Now, there are multiple ways in which we do this. This word to make known, it's just one word in the Hebrew. This is a word that appears frequently in the Old Testament. It is very prominent, very important. But let me give you just a couple of examples of how this word is normally used. First, in Psalm 89, verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Now notice this. With my mouth will I, here's that word, make known your faithfulness to all generations. Now, how is he going to make it known? He said, with my mouth. In other words, we make these things known with our words. It is so important for us to Look for those opportunities to speak to our children about God and His Word. We must speak to them about what we believe and why we believe it. Fathers, you have a limited number of opportunities to say a limited number of words to make God's Word known to them. But then I also want you to notice how this Word is used in Psalm 98, verses 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Now, once again, something is being made known. But this time, it is not being made known with my mouth. It's not being made known with words. This time, God is the one who's making it known, but he's making it known by actions. We go back to that question. How do we make known the testimony and the law of God in Psalm 78, verse 5? We do this. How We train them by the information we give and by the example that we live. By the information we give, we make known these things with our mouths, with our words, but we make known these things by the example we live, by our actions, how we live our lives. And folks, you really can't do one without the other effectively. You cannot teach your children with your words what they do not see you living out. In fact, your children will reject what you teach them if they do not see consistency between the two. And once again, to whom 
is this command to make known given not to the schools, not to the government, but to the home and to fathers in particular. I believe we are in a crisis today as a society, not because of the lack of prayer in schools, not because of the lack of godly instruction coming from government. No, we are in a crisis because of the lack of prayer and the lack of godly instruction in our homes, starting with fathers. Dads, it has to be intentional. You have to intentionally give this time, this type of training that Asaph is talking about. This is not going to happen by accident. And again, he said, if you do not do it, you are hiding it from them. And so we have to give them this collective wisdom. And we have to give them this intentional training by the words that we, uh, the information we give, the words we speak, by the example we live, by our actions. One more thing, fathers, that we do to give our children, to have this impact on our children, we give them what I call a multi-generational vision. A multi-generational vision. That's the best way I know to describe what the psalmist is saying Starting in verse 6, we are to teach them and we are to train them. Why? That the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Notice that we are to teach and train our children, not only so that they will know these things, but the Bible says so that their children will know these things, so that a generation that has not yet been born will know these things. In other words, the time for you to start thinking about your grandchildren and how they are going to be trained is when your children are still small while they're still young. And you do these things so that that unborn generation that will come many years later, they would declare them to their children, in other words, your great-grandchildren. The reason why you teach your children and you train your children and you pray for your children and you set an example for your children is so that one day their children and their children, and their children, and their children would, in verse 7, set their hope in God and forget not the works of God, but keep His commandments. Pay attention, fathers. Pay attention, church. Because these verses tell us what ought to be every father's goal. And these verses tell us what really is the purpose of parenting. You see, God didn't have to do it this way. He didn't have to populate the world this way. If God had wanted to, I'm sure he could have just created all of us the way he created Adam, forming us all separately, individually from the dust of the ground, breathing into us the breath of life without there being a father or mother involved. God could have done that, but that's not what he did. Instead, he created the home the family with fathers and mothers who then have children, who then train those children 
And God did it this way for a purpose. Now, the question is, what is that purpose? What is the purpose of parenting? The purpose of parenting is not your happiness or your fulfillment. And the purpose of parent actually, of parenting is actually not that one day your children would take care of you when you're old, put you in the very best nursing home. No, the purpose of parenting is to raise a generation that will raise a generation that will raise a generation of believers who will fill this world with the gospel so that God's fame would be great, so that his name would be praised long after we are gone. And we are to raise our children not just thinking about us and not just thinking about the next generation, but those generations that have yet to be born and the generations that will come after them as well. This is what matters. Listen to me, parents. This matters more than things like athletics, our grades. The time will come and it will not matter whether or not your son or daughter's team won that championship. The time will come when it will not matter what grade they got in chemistry, but there will never be a time when it does not matter whether or not they know Jesus. There will never be a time when it will not matter whether or not they served God. It will matter for generations. In fact, it will matter for eternity. Fathers, this is the finish line that we are striving to reach with every ounce of our strength and our being. And we strive to teach these things to our children so that one day they would reach that finish line and then pass the baton of the faith to their children as well until Jesus comes again. When I read what Asaph is saying about this multi-generational vision, I'm reminded of a man by the name of Derek Redmond now, in 1992, Derek Redmond was a sprinter from Great Britain who was favored to win the gold medal in the Olympic Games. Four years earlier, he was also the favorite, but he wound up having to pull out one hour before the race because he tore his Achilles tendon and so for years he rehabilitated and for years he, he trained and finally 1992 came and the big day came and the pistol was fired and the race began and initially Derek Redmond started strong. At the beginning, it looked like, yes, finally he was going to achieve his goal of an Olympic gold medal he was going to win that race, but then not long into the race, he grimaced in pain as he reached back, having just torn his hamstring. And in that moment, as all the other runners ran by, he knelt down. All of his dreams of Olympic gold vanished. In that moment, his career ended 
They brought him a stretcher. They were going to carry him off the track, but he decided, no, that he was going to hobble along on one leg if he had to, and he was going to get to the finish line. But as you can see, every step was even more difficult. Suddenly, some guy jumps from the stands and runs out onto the racetrack. Security tried to stop him, but there was no stopping him because that man who ran out from the stands was Derek Hammond's Father, Jim, put his arm around his shoulder. They continued to try to pull him away, and he continued to wave them off. And as his son wept, he carried his son to the end of that race. When they finally reached the finish line, 65,000 people stood up and cheered, and they gave a standing ovation. But listen, not to the runner who came in first, not to the man who officially won the race. 65,000 people stood up and gave a standing ovation to that father who carried his son to the finish line. And here we are, 31 years later, you know what? Nobody remembers who won the 400-meter gold in Barcelona, Spain in 1992. But everybody remembers. People still remember Derek Redmond's father, Jim. Fathers, one day no one will remember how much money you made. And no one will remember how high you climbed up the corporate ladder. But the impact that you have on your children will be remembered. The gospel impact that you have on their lives will last for generations. And the teaching and the training that you give them in the Lord will lead to future generations hoping in God as the gospel is preached and people continue to be saved. And fathers, I promise you, one of these days, one of these days, you'll get your standing ovation. But it starts with you today, right now, trusting in Christ, following Christ, the one who died for you and rose again. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, we thank you that you have given to us in your word all of this collective wisdom and you designed it so that fathers and mothers as well would take that wisdom and teach it to their children so that they would then teach it to their children who would teach it to their children so that for generations to come, people would hope in you and remember what you have done and follow your word. What an immense privilege and responsibility you have given to us. God, we confess so many times we fail, so many times we drop the ball, but we ask that you would use us in spite of us and that you would help us in spite of all of our limitations and in spite of all, all of our failures to take the baton of the faith
and pass it to that next generation so that for generations to come until Jesus comes again, the gospel would go forth and people would be saved. Lord, help us to have that multi-generational vision in which we don't just think about us and our kids, but generations to come. And Father, we understand it begins with that first step of faith that a man or a woman or a boy or girl would take in which they follow Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here today who's never taken that initial step of faith, I pray, oh God, that this really would be their day of salvation, that by your grace you would open blind eyes and deaf ears and help them to see their, their sin, their guilt before you, the fact that we cannot save ourselves but according to your word, it took Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect Son of God, to lay down his life on the cross for us, taking upon himself the punishment for our sin so that by faith in him, we could be saved. And if there is anyone who needs to take that very first step of faith in trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that on this Father's Day, this would be that day, their day of salvation. Help us, O oh Lord, to take what we've learned, what we've heard, what we've read, and apply this to our lives. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.